Beautiful morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning in this amazing Tuesday morning. It's the 26th day in the month of December 2023. How are you today? How was your Christmas celebration? I hope that you had a great time with family, with friends, with loved ones, well, even the people that you're not so cool with. Well, because you're in the same circle now, so you just have to hang out <laughs> together. Anyway, it's Christmas, so just do it just because it's Christmas. All right, I hope that you had a very great Christmas. Want to remember, at least for a very long time. Well, hoping that the things you remember are good things for this Christmas. Well, even if you kind of had a bad experience don't worry um it's just one of those things i'm sure that you'll get over it and uh, try to avoid it next time basically that's just what to do all right so this is women radio wfm 91.7 and of course it's six minutes after 10 right here on women radio nigeria's first radio station for women and their families this is the program radio doctor your free health consultation program where real doctors advise real people radio doctor is nigeria's first specialized health program where medical doctors consult for free and advice right here on women radio wfm 91.7 radio doctor comes to you mondays through friday Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Now, today is on women's health. Like we always say, every day is for um, a medical specialty. All right. Mondays, we look at children's health. On Tuesdays, women's health. On Wednesdays, we look at general health. On Thursdays, elderly health. And of course, on Fridays, we go with general health again. So today being Tuesday, it's on women's health. And women's health on Radio Doctor is supported by ACT Foundation. My name is Rose Yusuf Kayser, and uh, our radio doctor for today is Dr. Colin Sabolaje. He's an assistant medical director and fertility physician at St. Ives Specialist Hospital. Good morning, Dr. Abolaje. How are you today? Good morning, Rose. I'm doing well. I'm fine. All right. How are you? I'm okay. Compliment of the season. Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah, just tell us how your Christmas went yesterday, Doctor. Oh, I wish you the same. Merry Christmas. Well, uh, well, it was pretty much um, well, just on a modest level anyways. Mm-hmm. I went out after eating a lot of chicken. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that part is yeah, important. So yeah. Right. Yeah. So basically just had fun, you know, catching up with some friends and all of that. So it was good. All right. So it seems that you have a very good Christmas after all at the end of the day. Uh, because yeah. it's it's always good to have friends and families that you can spend time with at this period. Right. Yep. Yeah. All right. So that's Dr. Abolaje. He's an assistant medical director and fertility physician at St. Ives Specialist Hospital. And today, Dr. Abolaje will be consulting and advising on uterine adhesions. Yes, you heard me. Um, don't worry. Just calm down. You'll get to understand what that is in a minute. All right. Uterine adhesions are what we're talking about today. So women, when it comes to women's health, there are some terminologies you will hear. And sometimes you begin to ask yourself, Kilo Day, what is going on? Ah, ah, all these things from where? But just calm down. We'll definitely try to explain all of these things. That's why the doctor is here, all right? And we get to understand it better. Most times, there are things that probably you have heard of or seen some of these cases, but you don't know that this is what it is called. So just calm down. Don't be deceived by the big names or how these things just come. But just relax. We'll definitely go through all of this. All right, the phone lines to be a part of our conversation today is 07000 917 917. 07000 Send us a text or a WhatsApp message on 070-317-56537. 070-317-56537. That is a number to send a text or a WhatsApp message to us today. All right. You can also follow us on all our social media platforms, um, Facebook, Instagram, X and of course YouTube at WFM nine one seven. Log on to our website www.wfm nine one seven dot com, and then you can also download our mobile app WFM nine one seven. You get to listen to us from any part of the world. All right. So like I said earlier, Women's Health on Radio Doctor is supported by Act Foundation. All right. Let's get on to it this morning with Doctor Abolaje on uterine adhesions. All right, Doctor. So. Um, kindly break down what uterine adhesions is. Now, when we talk about uterine, we know we're looking at the uterus, we're looking at the womb. So, um, but when you now add adhesions to it, <laughs> break it down for us so that we'll get to understand this properly. All right. 
So um, uterine adhesion simply means the formation of um, adhesive tissue or formation of scar tissue inside of the uterus. Hmm. And usually this may not be limited to the uterus alone, but can also spread down to the cervix. And they are actually a primary consequence of previous uterine instrumentation. Now, all these are grammars. Okay, anyway, so this is what it means. So basically, if anybody has ever done any instrumentation using anything inside of the womb, maybe as a reason to help uh, clear out the womb, evacuate something from inside of the womb, huh. then that person has already been put at risk of developing uterine adhesions. Adhesions, as the case may be, they mean scar tissue. Scar tissue, just like a person has a wound on the outside of the body, and then the thing develops a scar that, that more like repairs that uh, damage that has been done on the skin, hmm. either by whatever injury, you know, situation that the person may have find, um, find, found in his or herself, him or herself, rather, excuse me. And um, so basically, these additions, they can form, like I said, inside of the womb and also in the cervix, and they can now result in certain symptoms. About 2.8% to 5%, between 28 and 5% of uh women who have uterine factor infertility. Hmm. They are actually having this uterine factor infertility because of adhesions. Hmm. About 28 to 5% of them, have actually, they actually have uterine adhesions. And it is said that um, most people, in about 1.5% of women who have done HSG before, yeah. they, we will found, we've come to find these uterine adhesions as part of their diagnosis. Yes, we know that people do HSG to actually check their tubes, whether mm. the tubes are open or not, patent or non-patent. But then in a bid to also check the tubes, we now have found that about 1.5% of women who come in for this HSG actually have been trying addition. And this is also adding to the reason, okay, why they may not be getting pregnant. So um, this condition usually can be referred to as Asherman syndrome. Usually when you say syndrome, syndrome is like a compendium of a lot of symptoms or the presence of a condition with its associated symptoms. So basically it is called Asherman syndrome because for some people they might have heard this same condition in three different dimensions. Others, maybe, maybe when they visited a doctor, the doctor called it uterine adhesions, plain uterine adhesions, or the doctor called it uterine synechia. Or the doctor maybe later called it Asherman syndrome. Usually, when a person is having scar tissue formation, which is uterine adhesions, that mm. might be. If the person is having uterine adhesions, and then you're having some symptoms such as um, lower abdominal pain, scanty menstruation, or menstrual irregularities generally, and also infertility, then it can be termed as Asherman syndrome. So, in any one of these cases, in any in any of these um, representations then this is going to be what we'll be talking about. Now, either you, anybody that wants to refer to it as Asherman syndrome or as uterine adhesions or as uterine synechia, we're still talking about the same thing, which is scar tissue formation inside of the womb. Now, mm -hmm. it is important I also state that scar tissue formation are a normal process that the body employs in a bid to heal, heal okay. any wound that is present in the body. It can happen outside or even inside of the body. It's still mm -hmm. the same thing. But then inside of the body, it should not be present, especially inside, I mean, inside of the uterus, mm. I beg your pardon. Inside of the uterus, it shouldn't be present because the uterus actually has the endometrial cavity, okay, which has specific tissue that should be present there that would allow the monthly or what we call the cyclical uh, um, menstrual bleed to happen. And that would also allow for embryo implantation, which so would lead to the woman getting pregnant. So the moment all of that endometrial cavity has been replaced, the tissue that are present, the those endometrial that has been replaced by scar tissue, then it has made that endometrial cavity uh, infertile. It has made it um, non-conducive, okay, hmm. for embryo implantation or even also for the woman to have a monthly cycle. Hmm. So uh, just to add to this also, yeah. um, about now, uh, about it is said that about 5% of women who have recurrent miscarriages, mm -hmm. okay, actually ha they are experiencing this recurrent miscarriage, they have these recurrent miscarriages because of the presence of uterine adhesion, about 5% of them. Okay. And then 
for people who have gotten pregnant and something happened and then maybe they lost the pregnancy and then they had to go in for evacuation as case may be in 13 percent of these women that will go in for evacuation okay they mm. can they can actually it can they can actually develop uterine adhesions as a consequence of that evacuation that will be done for them in a bit to remove any remnant okay any remnant of the conception that they had yeah so and for some people again going in for uh, fibroid removal surgery especially for fibroids that are present inside of the womb mm. it's really for fibroids that are present inside of the womb. Um, about 23 percent of them 23 percent that's a large number about 23 percent of women who would have fibroid present inside of the womb would develop additions and now just to just to shock people a little bit mm -hmm. okay for people who have had this fibroid removed from inside of the womb now like i explained um, the other time the womb has three layers you have the perimetrum the myometrum and then the endometrium yeah endometrium is the inner part anytime you hear endo it means inside mm -hmm. in medicine so the inner uh, part of the womb which is called endometrium is where a baby stays and grows until the baby is ready to be born so basically anybody who, who some for some women they have they have their fibroids not only on the outside but also have it inside that space where the baby is supposed to stay mm. so usually for people who have gone ahead to do surgeries to take out such fibroids or polyps from inside of that endometrial cavity they also stand a chance Okay, of having this um, um, recurrent, um, um, yeah, sorry, um, Asherman syndrome. They yeah. have the chance of having the same Asherman, the same uterine adhesions. So basically, as a consequence of you trying to rid yourself of one evil, you are faced, a person with is faced with another. Yes. So basically, it can really be very funny because, I mean, why go, why, why proceed to do something that you also stand the risk of developing something else mm -hmm. that would even be worse off than, you know, that could be worse off than even what the you actually had or yeah. the former rather yes yeah, so so basically it is it is quite a very uh funny uh condition but can really be serious and can really be the source of pain for a lot of people when i mean pain i mean good emotional pain mm. because they're not getting pregnant something that seems so easy to treat and then of course the person is not getting any um, headway or not getting any um, um breakthrough in, mm. uh, in handling it can really be all right really serious. Thank you so yeah. much, Dr. Boloji. This is Women Radio WFM 91.7, 17 minutes after 10, right here on Women Radio. And of course, this is the program Radio Doctor, your free health consultation program where real doctors advise real people. Do well to dial the number 07000-917-917. Send us a text or a WhatsApp message on 070-317-56537. Today, Dr. Aboloji is consulting and advising on uterine adhesions. All right, so um, do well to call us with your thoughts, your concerns, because um, funny enough, um, Dr. Aboloji is saying this and, you know, I'm actually learning a lot uh from this so i'm hoping that you are also following on the conversation and also learning too all right because sometimes you hear if 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 you don't have the right information you might not know what to do or where to turn to for solutions so um it's actually good that we arm ourselves with this information so do well to call in with your thoughts your questions and your concerns especially on uterine adhesions all right so um our doctor is here consulting and advising to day on women's health right here on women radio wfm 91.7 all right so let's get on to it uh, the doctor has told us what uterine adhesions are and um how well um now doctor you've told us that this actually develops from um instrumentations that you know are being used you know inside women's womb to probably do an evacuation and all of that but this are uh, these evacuations yeah um, are actually yeah. necessary in some cases. So, um, can a woman actually do without it, not to, um, you know, go through or rather come up with these uterine adhesions? Because at the end of the day, um, you might go through some pregnancies, especially late pregnancy loss, and then they tell you that, okay, the only thing we can go, or the only thing we can do right now is to probably, you know, induce you after induction. They tell you, okay, we have to do, yeah. we have to evacuate whatever remains are there so that, you know, you would be able to get pregnant again. But meanwhile, that is actually opening you to um um adhesions at the end of the day so um how does one get to manage this information like you said you're trying to solve one 
and you're seeing yourself yeah. maybe gradually entering into into another kind of trouble. So um, how do we then go about this? Because there are women who have done this maybe once, twice, up to three times too. Yeah. So, so basically, uh, in a bid to try to run away from or uh, try to prevent any, uh, con- uh, any like put yourself in a position where you, uh, where the person would, uh, you know, possibly in the future ex- um, have uterine adhesions. Okay, uh, setting things up to be put into consideration. So, first off, uh, the physician that is attending to the lady, to mm. the woman, has to um, have the right expertise in a bid to try to do whatever form of instrumentation, especially for dilatation and curettage. That's D and C, the one we call D and C. Hmm. Now, in the past, we used to actually do the D and C, D and C, where you use, you dilate the cervix and then you use a curette. You know, a curette is like, um, I don't know, sometimes I try to use things that people can relate with. But it's an instrument that looks like a spoon. It's like a spoon, okay? Hmm. Um, just with the space anyways in the middle. And so basically goes in there and then the doctor tries to just take out gently. It's actually done using a gentle approach. So you don't want to go in there as though you are a mechanic. You know? <laughs> I'm very sorry to use that thing. Yeah, so you just go in gently, you know, and you try to take out any remnants, okay, of conception that might have been present because, you know, you just want to do that to prevent infection, to prevent bleeding and to prevent, you know, um, adhesion formation even. Okay, hmm. so basically, um, so the expertise of the physician has to be has to be taken into consideration, and also the doctor himself also has to uh, do what we call. We usually do it every time. It's like a permutation. You have to check between the risk and the and the reward. Yeah. Okay, the risk of this woman of giving this woman a possible problem in the future by doing that dilatation and curettage or doing that uh, DNC or whatever for that woman, hmm. and also talking about the reward. Okay, yes, if I do this, it's going to give her more she she's going to benefit more from doing it than put her in a risk so you actually do that risk versus benefit thing okay so basically um it is going to be left for the doctor to actually decide and whatsoever there are there are, there are people that have done um this um, um um dilatation and curettage you know a couple of times but maybe because of the you know over the top expertise of the physician hmm. they are it is done very well Okay, and then of course the woman doesn't have any additions, even over after having three dilatation and curettage. Not for not for unhealthy purposes, anyways. Like people who terminate pregnancies, you know, intentionally. No, this is for like the woman had a miscarriage and you just want to make sure that there is no remnant in there, just yeah. to give her the best chance of conceiving again. You know, so basically these days even uh, physicians usually do not do the DNC. That's conventional DNC. Hmm. Okay, uh, especially for for um, for um, uh, after a miscarriage, you usually use do what we call the MVA, manual vacuum aspiration. So basically, it's like a rubber kit. It goes in there with a vacuum mechanism, trying to aspirate everything that is present. Of course, there will still be some back and forth movement in a bit to try to empty the uterus completely. And the thing would actually give you a signal, like you would know when the uterus is empty, when the uterine cavity is empty. Hmm. You would feel there's a pretty sensation. So basically, you know that that is the point to stop. But for some people, especially for people, maybe for medical physicians, uh, medical officers, or you know, that do not really have the experience, they could still be like, ah, maybe they're trying to empty or clean out the uterus. It doesn't really work that way. When it gives you that signal of that gritty sensation, you know that this is the right time to stop. You don't want to be overzealous in trying to just empty the uterine cavity. So that's why I said the experience of the physician, of the handling physician, is also uh, uh, brought into book in a bid to uh, try to give the woman the best uh, uh, service. Hmm. So like I said, it has to do with you know the judgment. The doctor has to make a judgment call, of course, and also bringing his experience into... Uh, um, into light also, you know, maybe to try to help the woman. Hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, um, Dr. Bology, for that. Now, let's look at um, what symptoms might indicate the presence of uterine adhesions, um, you know, in a woman. Because at the end of the day, we should be able to know that, okay, uh, this this might be the thing. Why we're having this particular, um, you know, result at the end of the day. So maybe it's as a result of uterine adhesions. That's why we're having this. So what are some of the symptoms that might indicate the presence of this in a woman's body? Okay. So the thing with uterine adhesions is that... Um, not everybody who has these uterine adhesions will present with symptoms. 
So this also depends on the severity of the disease, or st- let's call it the staging now, just for better understanding. Okay. Okay. So there are three stages. You have the mild, moderate, and the severe staging of um, the adhesive of neutron adhesions. So basically, if it is in the mild stage, okay, these mm. neutron adhesions only only have taken or more like encroached about one third of the uterine cavity. Okay, so there are just some few additions in around one third. Take the entire volume. Just imagine the volume of the uh, of the uterine cavity. About one third of it has been encroached. You know, just like a third of it. Like a, let's say, what's that? One third is like thirty uh, percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yes, so somewhat around thirty percent here, there yeah. about. So basically, has been taken over by additions, and they are scattered here and there. You know, it's not like they are well, it's not like they are uh, um, uh, markedly um, expressed and all of that. No, they're just scattered around. Some few additions present in there, okay, about one third of the uterine cavity. Mm. So for such people, they may not even present with any symptom at all. In fact, such persons might still even get pregnant. You still find women who bring in their HSG reports or maybe whatever report with the presence of, and the thing is showing that there's presence of um, uterine additions, some you know, few scanty additions, and they're still getting pregnant without problems. In mm. fact, they bring the report to you, you do whatever you have to do for them, you know, advise them properly or do some induction for them, and they still get pregnant, you know, with that same report. So basically, this is just to um, emphasize that not everybody who has the additions will get um, would, would have problems, would have any form of symptom. Okay, so about one third of it, like I said, some people will still have normal menstrual normal menstrual bleed, or for some people they may start experiencing um, some scanty menstruation. Okay, so that yeah. is for some people. For others, for the moderate stage, usually this covers are between one third and two third of the ent- of the entire uterine cavity. So in this case, now you would it is established that this woman would definitely. Okay, as uh-huh. scanty menstruation. Now, when we say scanty menstruation, it's part of the symptom that is present when a woman has uterine addition. The reason is because the normal layer, the normal endometrial, that endometrial layer, it has a basal layer, it has a functional layer. Functional layer is a layer that bleeds uh-huh. every month. So basically, once this happens, usually it is injury to that basal layer that results in all of these things, that results in all of these problems, uterine additions. Now, when the basal layer is what gives rise to the functional layer that bleeds. So there's a, if there's a problem with that basal layer, there won't be enough functional layer anymore. So the areas that should shed, the areas that should bleed, will not be present or would have been taken over by this scar tissue. So because of that, the woman will not have the normal volume of menses that she should be having. Mm. Every woman. That's why you find some people co- complaining that, ah, uh, doctor, I started having um, scanty menses after CS. Because even mm. people that have CS, they are also, they are also prone to this. having... You know, you can imagine, yes, having CS to take out the baby and then you're causing something that will not prevent the woman from getting the next baby. You can imagine. So this is just the irony of the entire thing. So then uh, for people that have the severe uh, um, stage of this disease, usually they have very dense additions that are covered over to third of the entire womb. And basically, such people would not even have menses at all. So that is also another symptom. The first we mentioned right now is canting menstruation. The next is the absence of menses because the almost the almost the entirety of that endometrial cavity has been taken over by this adhesive tissue, mm. and because of that, of course, there won't be enough uh, viable endometrium to bleed. Okay. Hmm. The next thing that people could experience is pain. They could be having cyclical pain. Cyclical pain simply means that they'll be having pain as at the time of when they're supposed to see their menses. So they have all the intense cramping and all of that, but then they are not seeing any blood. The reason is because for some people, like I said, like we made mention of earlier, hmm. the additions could have been found or can be found in the cervix. If the additions are found in the cervix, okay, now hmm. for instance, the addition is in the maybe the lower part of the womb that leads into the cervix and also covering maybe the internal os and all of that, the blood will not pass through. So the blood will accumulate inside of the womb. So usually this food, they could be having what we call, um, um, they could be having what we call hematometra, as the case might be, hmm. where there is accumulation of blood inside of the womb. The menses that's supposed to come out yeah. is formed inside of the womb, but it's supposed to flow out. But it cannot flow out because addition is present inside of the cervix. Wow. or in the lower part of the womb, leading into the cervix. So this will result in the accumulation of that blood inside of the womb. 
So it is not going to come out. But the woman will be having all the cramps in the hmm. beginning because that's what happens to the uterus. You will try to have some contractions or cramping in the beat to force out you know, whatever is in there, but it's not going to come out. So this woman will only have cyclical pain, cyclical pelvic pain. For some other people, they could be having what we call retrograde menstruation. Retrograde menstruation simply means that instead of the blood to flow back out, it is still it is just like an extension of what we just spoke about now. Hmm. The blood will flow into the <laughs> into the uh, maybe into the tubes or into <laughs> even into the pelvic um, uh, cavity. Because it's quite, not going to come out. These things are just sounding yeah. scary. <laughs> exactly. Oh my uh, goodness. That's why I said. You know, when we mention the title, um, when we mention the topic, mm. some persons might just be like, oh, it's something truly it has. In fact, I've seen a woman who developed additions just because she had an evacuation. Okay, same mm. thing. She had an evacuation for a uh, missed abortion. She got pregnant, but in the early phase, the baby, you know, the heartbeat went out. So basically, of course, they had to do an evacuation for her. And the doctor now placed an IUD. IUD is a is a uh, it's one of those small devices that is placed into the womb to try to vitalize the womb, mm. give a lot of um, you know nutrients, all the hormones to be, to go directly into the uterine cavity. And then of course, she developed adhesions. Just you can imagine, she developed adhesions, and then she came in for IVF because of that same adhesions. Mm. And such persons even right now, okay, by reason of what we saw, okay, she might even be a candidate for surrogacy because mm. the adhesions have actually taken over greater than to thought of wow. that cavity. So the next symptom, um, like we said earlier, mm. additions can be because of recurrent miscarriages for some women because the presence of the additions has reduced the space it takes for the womb for the baby to grow. Okay, so basically um, it is not be compatible. That endometrial cavity will not be compatible for fetal development. So it can be the reason for recurrent miscarriage. And lastly, of course, mm. can also be the reason for infertility a delay in getting pregnant. It actually does this thing through three ways. First of all, it will prevent sperms from moving very well. Okay. These sperms actually need that same um, um, conducive environment to move. But when you have adhesions, especially like I said earlier, maybe an adhesion in the cervix, of course, the woman will just be having intercourse. The sperm will not be able to pass through the cervix. Mm -hmm. After a couple of days, they will die in that um, um, upper vagina area, and that is it. So additions can prevent sperm transport, can impair sperm transport. For other people, it can. The reason why they are finding it difficult to get pregnant, it, it is that the additions has actually prevented embryo implantation, the embryo from implanting. So if for those of them that do not have the um, additions present in the cervix, the sperm is able to pass through, get to the tube, fertilize the egg that that was ovulated, mm. okay, from the ovary, and of course, in a bid for the embryo to coming back. To come in and uh, come back into the um, um, womb to implant. Of course, it doesn't find enough space for it to implant or any viable tissue available for it to implant in. And then, of course, the woman would not get pregnant. And lastly, even for people that may, uh, they didn't have uh, impaired sperm, um, sperm transport, they didn't have impaired embryo implantation, they can still have abnormal placentation because, same thing, because of the presence of additions present in there. And this in itself can also result in either. Uh, uh, um, uh, fetal growth uh, retardation, intrauterine fetal growth retardation, and even miscarriages itself. So that is, um, I don't know if I either if I've left anything out, but I think um, I've done justice to the symptoms. Okay. Uh, All right, Dr. Abulaji, thank you very much for that. Um, do want to call us up on 0709 Send us a text or a WhatsApp message to 0703175637. All right, that is the number to get in touch with us today. This is 27 minutes to 11 right here on Women Radio WFM 91.7. And this is the program Radio Doctor. And today we have Dr. Colin Sabology with us. Um, he is consulting and advising on uterine adhesions today. And of course, this is really, really interesting because um, I used to, when I hear additions, I would just think, oh, maybe it's just something, just, you know, there's nothing more. Like, I, I didn't know that there's a whole world of it, <laughs> okay? Uh, but, exactly. um, I mean, it's definitely something that we should all um, get to have more information about. And this will actually help you make informed okay. decisions, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. 
All right. So, yes, do well to send in your questions, your contributions, your concerns uh, right here to uh, 070-317-56537. You can also call us up on 07000-917-917. Let's get, um, you know, what's on your mind on this this morning. All right, um, doctor, you have given us, um, you know, the symptoms that um, this might actually present itself with. So, um now, how are these actually diagnosed? Is it only when maybe a woman is trying to get pregnant or when she's having frequent miscarriages and then they get to check and this is it? Or maybe, you know, when she complains that, oh, my menstrual period, I don't understand. Is it that very scanty? Oh, I'm having the pains, but it's not coming out, you know, and all of that. So um, how do we actually get to, um, how, how is this diagnosed? Okay, so so the, the first step, of course, is to understand the history of the woman. Basically, she's telling you, giving you pointers. You know, she just gives, tells you the symptoms, and these symptoms that she has said or that she has given will be, will be like pointers to, you know, thinking in that direction that she might be having uh, um, uterine adhesion, especially for somebody who has had, you know, previous instrumentations. Of course, um, this is what will give us pointers. So, um, after taking note of that history, of course, the next thing, of course, uh, is to do a transvaginal scan mm. or a scan, you know, just to check the womb itself to be sure that there, are, there is no presence of adhesions. Because even on scan, you can be able to actually identify or to see, you know, if there is um, adhesions or not. For other people, which is the commonest way, of course, for some women, especially those of them that have been trying to get pregnant, of course, is the HSG. They go in for the HSG to check their tubes. Yeah. And of course, in addition to whatever might have, have um, uh, happen to the tubes, they will be given an extra, <laughs> an extra uh, 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 um, diagnosis, you know, of, uh, with uh, uh, uterine adhesions. So HSG is one modal imaging modality to diagnose some um, uterine adhesions. The next, of course, is hysteroscopy. Hysteroscopy is the one where you pass a telescope into, you know, it's like a camera, it's an instrument with a camera, yeah. pass it there into the womb itself to have visual, to have direct. Uh, um, observation, direct visual observation of these additions inside of that uterine cavity. And of course, this can also help to tell the doctor about the extent, the extent of encroachment of that um, endometrial cavity. MRIs can also be used, um, but of course, for uterine additions specifically, hysteroscopy is very, very superior Hmm. to every other imaging modality. The others can only tell you that, yes, there's presence of additions, but Hysteroscopy will tell you about the extent. How extensive is it? Is it everywhere? Is it up to two third, one third, or the entire uterine cavity? Hmm. Okay, so, yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, doctor, for that. At least we've heard how this is diagnosed. Now, um, what are the treatment options for this? Is it something that is easily okay. treated, or you have to go through some sort of processes to actually get this treated? Well, um, there are treatments um, for um, uterine adhesions. Um, the number one is, of course, hysteroscopic adesiolysis. Now, adesiolysis, whenever you hear lysis, lysis simply means the breakdown of something. Okay, so it is hysteroscopic, means the use of this hysteroscope. You know, you pass a camera into the womb and then you break those adhesions. Okay, it's lo- just like using an instrument that has like a scissor to just try to shave off some of these adhesions. Okay, so that is the gold standard for the treatment, hysteroscopic adesiolysis. But that is not all there is. For some other persons, um, of course, there's also what we call post-adesiolysis care. So it is not just enough to do the adesiolysis to break down these adhesions hmm. using the hysteroscope. You also have to have a post-adesiolysis care. Because if you do not have a post-adesiolysis care, okay, you put that woman at risk of developing a recurrent, you know, <laughs> Um, additions, uterine additions. So basically, the additions you just took out, like I said, mm. okay, an addition will form again to replace that one mm. because these additions, they are, they are formed as a result of the normal body's process of healing any wound that is created. Mm. All these instrumentations, whether for evacuation or not, whether you like it or not, a small injury has been created inside mm. of the wound. Mm. You do your MVA and all of anything that will result in bleeding from that wound itself 
you know, can yeah. result in an adhesion. So let me just put that. It is simple. It's safe to put it that way. So basically, the woman has to, the doctor has to institute what we call a post-adhesionalysis care, where after the adhesions, after the adhesions have been broken, after the adhesionalysis has been done, medications can be given, hormone therapy as can be given in the form of either the IUD devices and the rest to try to vitalize that um, that inner space of the womb or to try to rid it of something that could possibly result in addition formation. Um, and of course, we also um, employ the use of certain devices such as balloons to try to prevent the opposition. Opposition simply means the coming together of the different walls of that um, endometrial cavity. You just keep it in there for a while. Hmm. Anyway, just for a short period of time until the walls have been healed by themselves. And then, of course, the balloon will be taken off. And then these days, of course, um, people are also having what we call experimental stem cell therapy, where they are using certain um, uh, uh, um, 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 medications or certain substances like platelet-rich plasma, growth factor, to try to regenerate. It's just an MB to try to regenerate the endometrial cavity, to those endometrial tissue, those endometrial, um, the normal tissue that should be present inside of that endometrium. They're mm. trying to use it to regenerate it. Yeah, so that's it's still an experimental thing, but I think um, in most part of the world it is being done and um, it, has, it has shown um, some promises. So basically that is it. It's just so that adhesiolysis as a treatment and of course institute post-adhesiolysis uh, uh, care. So uh, I, think, I, I think that is enough to mm. uh, make some people attempt to you know, revive their womb by having yeah. whatever additions that is present in there you know, taken off. Hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Boloje, for that. Please do want to call us up. Let's get to hear from you. 07000 Send us a text or a WhatsApp message to 070-317-56537. All right. Today is Women's Health right here on Radio Doctor and is supported by Act Foundation. And um, this is your free health consultation program where real doctors advise real people. So it's definitely open for you to call in uh, with your questions, your um, concerns or anything that you have in mind at all as regards to uterine adhesions this morning. So let's get to hear uh, your thoughts, your concerns. The doctor is here to answer to all of it this morning. So we've talked uh, you know, a lot about what the uterine adhesions are, how they develop, um, how we get to um, you know, how we get to diagnose this. We've looked at um, the treatments, uh, you know, options available. We've also looked at, um, you know, a lot of other things this morning. So, um, doctor, let's look at um, um, the risk factors. Now, you've mentioned quite a few, but I, I want you to actually maybe give it some few minutes because at the end of the day, it's not like um, this is something that, let's say, you're born with or this is something that just develops or you know, um, it's, 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 and it doesn't have anything to do with hormones, does it? Well, um, well, primarily, no, it doesn't. Okay. But secondarily, because for certain people that have um, uh, conditions like polycystic ovarian syndrome, where they mm-hmm. have endometrial hyperplasia, and the doctor has to investigate them to try to be sure that they do not have any, uh, you know, maybe um, endometrial carcinoma in its early phase, or, which is endometrial cancer now in its early phase. Okay. And usually there's something that we do as physicians, we usually do what we call an endometrial biopsy, just mm. to be sure, okay, that this lady is not having, you know, um, you know, endometrial cancer in its early phase. Okay. People can still develop adhesions from having endometrial biopsy done. Just biopsy is just need to take out a little bit of tissue from that inside. Just by having that done. Fairly, yeah, mm. just for having that small biopsy. You know, mm. you just do but, but there are different ways to take out the biopsy anyway. So mm. Um, in any one, any which way, the woman can, you can still put the woman at risk of having uterine um, uh, additions. So okay. um, that's why I said primarily no. Hmm. But as a consequence of something that you just want to check, you know, which is also part of the uh, symptoms of having a condition, you just want to do biopsy just to make sure you tie all loose and to be sure that even a young lady or even the woman in her mid-30s or so, she's not, you know, you know, these days we're finding cancers in, in fact, even in kids, mm-hmm. you know, in children, I mean, teenagers and all of that, you know, so basically you just want to check all of this uh, to be very sure and then you just put the lady at risk of having uterine additions. Yeah. So okay. the majority, the risk generally is that 
Um, All right, let well, me just pause you a bit, doctor. Uh, we have a call. Let me just pause right. you a bit. Hello, good, good morning. Hello, good morning. Hi, good morning. What's new? Where you calling from? Good morning. Okay, my name is Ogechi. I come from Ogun State. All right, Ogechi from Ogun State. Go ahead. Let's hear your Ogechi. You're welcome. Okay. So the program this morning, I'm enjoying it. Thank you. Because Thank you, Ogechi. After I give him that, I started seeing my message after seven weeks. Then from there. But the mess, my mission is just one day and it will drop. I was confused. What is all this one? But normally, I used to have it three days and it will flow normally. After giving birth, I did not have any miscarriage. And I gave birth normally, believe it. Mm -hmm. So, but after, before I started seeing my menstruation, it's just a drop, drop like this, mm. just like that. So, and I was scared. What is going on? So, I want to ask the doctor the causes of it. Okay. How long did you have this drop for? The, for that three days, she just be dropping for that three days. Okay, like for how many just months like did you experience this? Okay, so you're saying that it was when the baby completed seven months, your period has not been the same, you just see a drop. Yes. Oh, okay. All right, Dr. Bolaji. Okay, so now basically for her, mm. uh, now she actually she rightfully said that she had a normal delivery. So yeah. basically, um, to to stand on the side of uh, saying that it is a CS that has resulted in that because people who have CS can also present with this, mm. okay, with this same complaint of having scanty menses and all of that. Of course, in this case, that is not it. In in this case, um, that cannot be said for her. Yeah. So another thing that we can also look at as the cause of this is that she's breastfeeding. I'm pretty sure she's breastfeeding that child. Mm -hmm. And usually women that breastfeed children, uh, you know, especially, you know, having a normal delivery and all of that, you know, they should be lactating. So basically she's breastfeeding the child. And as far as you are breastfeeding your child, for some women, they may not see their menses even when it starts. They may not see their menses on time. And even when the menses, I mean, the menses will not return. That's what I mean. Yeah. Okay? And even when it does, it can start off as being scanty for some other, for some people. Because their prolactin level is what is actually causing all the wahala. Okay? So for her, um, I don't think it's something she should be worried about. I think she should still oh, no. give it a little bit more time. Hmm. Especially because it's just seven months after she has delivered. In fact, we could even hear the baby crying in the background. Yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, I think for now, it shouldn't be anything for her to be worried about. Let her give it a little bit more time. Maybe in the next couple of months, maybe within three months. If hmm. she still persists, then, of course, um, let's see. But the truth is, if she's still actively breastfeeding, for some people, they will breastfeed a child like, you know, they even go beyond the normal recommendation, hmm. you know. So basically, all those prolactin, what causes what a woman breastfeeding would have a high prolactin level, and this of course can affect the way our gonads, the way our ovaries senses these um, gonadotropins that are produced from the brain, and because of that, she may not actually be ovulating the way she should, and because you will need a developing follicle inside of that ovary to produce all the estrogens that will be required for the growth of the womb itself. Hmm. So if she's not producing enough estrogen, maybe because the follicle is not really developing and all of that, yeah. or maybe, you know, you know, this would affect the way she bleeds. Hmm. If the womb does not grow very thick, okay, hmm. she would definitely have scanty menstruation. It would be scanty. Hmm. Because the womb does not grow to a very good thickness. So that can affect her. So my own advice to her is that she shouldn't be worried. Hmm. Let her give it three more months. And then I, I believe everything will turn back to normal. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. 07000 is a number to call. Send us a text or a WhatsApp message. 70 317 right, doctor. We have a, a WhatsApp message here and it says, good morning. What could be the cause of everyday bleeding for three weeks after four months of miscarriage and proper flushing done in the hospital? 
um, we didn't get a name to this, but apparently now she has done, uh, let's say, DNC or, um, you know, yeah. in the hospital. And this was after four months, yeah. uh, four months miscarriage. But she has been bleeding right now for three weeks. What could be the causes of everyday bleeding for complete three weeks after four months of miscarriage and a proper flushing done in the hospital? After, after wow. four months so, of miscarriage, so yeah. of bleeding, yeah. So she's she 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 most likely would need um, further evaluation. Um, most times, I <laughs> whenever I say evaluation, I know a lot of people be like, "Ah, doctor, your own says also evaluation, <laughs> evaluation." But is it true? Yeah. Yes. Without evaluating her properly, we will not know what the cause might be. Just stating a few reasons, because one of the reasons is that she might just be having a menstrual irregularity. Mm. Yes, that's it. Or uh, now having to bleed for four months, bleed for three weeks in three a four-month period. Generally, like you're bleeding three weeks every month, every month three weeks, three weeks. Okay, that is already a sign that she has some menstrual irregularities, and basically things have to be checked to be sure that she doesn't have any additional pathology. Things that could make you bleed for that long, maybe mm-hmm. an endometrial polyp, uh, even a fibroid. You know, inside of that endometrium. Okay, inside of that space where the baby is to stay and the baby the baby stays, mm. you know. So basically, she has to be checked truly, okay, to be sure that there's nothing else present in there because she said she had a DNC. Mm. Um, even if the woman had a DNC, uh, as far as she if she did it in a very in a good place, of course, somebody that has a, a good practical experience on how to handle cases and things like that, of course, it should have been done very well. So I don't expect her to bleed for that long. Mm. But for her bleeding for that long then um, I know a lot of people want to be like, oh, yeah, maybe, they, maybe they made a mistake. The truth is, if it was done properly, there won't be any mistake. And of course, she won't bleed for this long. So she has to be reevaluated to be sure that nothing has been tempered. With. But even if anything would have been tempered, with, the truth is, mm. additions would have formed and that bleeding would not occur up no, to this cool. extent for four months. Mm. Yes, to not okay. occur. So that's why I said something extra has to be checked. Mm. Maybe after all of that, she's now having, maybe by reason of her stress levels and all of these things, she's having some... You know, hormonal imbalance thing happening to her, and of course, these also have to be put into consideration to mm. help her. All right. So let her, she has to visit the hospital again uh, for five hours. Hello. Again. All right. So let's pick this. Good morning. Call. Hi. Good morning to you too. Watching where you calling from? My name is Glory, calling from Ogun State. All right, Glory. What part of Ogun State are you calling us from? Okay. My question is, though I joined the program late, but my question is, how can addition be treated? Hmm. Okay. All right, Glory. What part of Ogun State okay. are you calling us from? Yeah, All right. Thank you so much, Glory. Um, the doctor has spoken about that already, but um, doctor, just in less than a minute, maybe we could yeah, just, just yeah. go over that again. So, okay. All right. So basically, additions can be treated. We usually do what we call adesulysis. Okay. It can be done hysteroscopically for best results. But if it is a mad adhesion, usually some doctors can still attempt a blind, you know, adesulysis, which is, of course, not recommended. It's not a gold standard. The gold standard is to do hysteroscopic adesulysis. They pass a small camera into your womb to visually see those additions, and then you use an instrument that has like a scissor tip to try to scrape out, you know, cut Mm -hmm. out some of those adhesions present in, in any area that they are located. And after that has been done, of course, the doctor also has to institute what we call a post-adesulysis care by giving you hormonal preparations to try to make sure that the womb does not, uh, you know, grow so thick. Usually, we either pass it an IUD or pass a balloon catheter, and of course, give hormonal preparations to try to make sure that you don't want the edges of the womb to come together again as part of the healing process. So you have to make sure that they are spaced apart. So it's part of all those post-adesulysis care. And lastly, there's also an experimental treatment that is done to try to regenerate the inside of the womb after all those additions have been shaved off. Hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Bologi. Now, um, as we wrap this up, what would you want us to take home from our topic of discourse today. I know there are some things that we haven't yet touched, but um, in a minute or two, what would you want us to take home from um, the uterine adhesions of, of what, you know, all we've talked, uh, spoken about today? Okay, so basically, um, mm-hmm. uterine adhesions, like we said, they are a consequence of previous instrumental uh, instrumentation of the womb. 
so basically, it is um, important in some cases to have these instrumentations done, maybe to try to help out the woman and make sure that the womb is empty the way it should, you know, so as not to prevent her from getting pregnant in the future. So it is important that um, when you visit your physician and or you do any investigation and you are told that you have uterine adhesions, you also have to speak with your physician and ask what your chances are, especially if your own concern at that moment is getting pregnant. Ask very well, okay, can this level of adhesion, can it get me pregnant? Can I still get pregnant? Hmm. Okay, Because of course, like we said, there's always a risk of having um, adhesion formation when you do even the adhesiolysis in itself. So basically, you want to do that. And if your doctor is telling you that, of, of course, there's no other way out, then, of course, you might even still seek a second opinion. A second opinion in medicine is never ruled out. Even for us that are physicians practicing in this field of medicine, there are certain things that we would see. We wouldn't even make a unilateral decision. Hmm. We'd have to call our senior colleagues or call people that have experience in Because in medicine, there's always somebody that has more experience than yourself in dealing with a particular condition. So it's very, very diversified. Yeah. So basically, you want to, of course, seek second opinion. So even for clients, we I always am an advocate for second opinion is very important hmm. and um for additions usually there's nothing like uh, let me just quickly do it uh, uh, let me just quickly attend to it. no that's why you can take your time in thinking about it get all the information that you need from the first uh, uh from the from the physician and also from also somebody who has experience in it and hmm. then make an informed decision here okay all right, thank you. So quickly, doctor, is it possible that if a woman hasn't gone through any sort of instrumentation, you know, being inserted in her or gone through any process that has to do with instrumentation, is it possible that she might just never come down with additions? Uh, yes, it is possible. Uh, yeah. Now, there's a reason why I'm saying this. Hmm. Uh, but of course, if the woman has gotten an infection, maybe having things like genital tuberculosis, you know, or having um, uh, schistosomiasis, these are some infectious diseases, of course. Hmm. Uh, of course, she can still come down with uh, additions. Okay. All right. Yeah, and even with certain conditions also like endometriosis and mm. she can still pre present with additions because anything that will result in the inflammatory response within the womb in itself, mm. of, co of course, can on the long run result in formation of uterine additions. Even normal conventional endometritis, okay, by some of these bacteria that we know here and there, okay. of course, can still result in addition formation. Yeah. All right. All right, thank you so much, Dr. Apology, for being able to uh, be on the program today. We really do appreciate having your thoughts on all of what we've spoken about today. Our time is fast spent. We can't take any more questions. So thank you so much, Dr. Collins Apology, for being on Radio Doctor thank today. Thank you for, yeah, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thank all you. right, so do enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of the holiday. I wish you the same. All yeah. right, thank you. All right. So that's where we will drop the curtains today for uh, the program Radio Doctor. Join us again tomorrow at 10, I was about to say 9, at 10 a.m. All right, a very big thank you to our Radio Doctor for today, uh, Dr. Abology, Dr. Collins Abology, and for you also tuning in and listening today and to all those who called. My name is Rose Yusuf Kaiser. Do have yourselves a great day ahead and enjoy the boxing day. WFM 91.7.